This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Hello and welcome to a match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin once again. Lovely to have your company. Minnesota back in Major League Soccer action. Finally, after what seems to have been the longest off-season ever, we have MLS and we have a real game of football as well. It's not just pre-season, Kindra. Here we are right on the cusp of an actual game and it's exactly where Minnesota finished off last season. Yeah, I mean, I think I tweeted out um, earlier, retweeted something Minnesota United put out about the the match on Friday night against Seattle. And it's like, do you want to remember that game? Do you not want to remember that game? It's kind of a mixed bag. And I think some of the players even had some quotes from training that, you know, the players that were here, they want to remember the scars from because that that one hurt. That was brutal. I remember sitting post game, you know, how are we going to put a bow on this one and just feeling like a punch in the gut and we're not even the ones on the pitch. So what a place to start 2021 with the craziness that was 2020 with the ups and the downs and the COVID and the Orlando and everything else. Um, I think this is a perfect place to start the 2021 season. So before we talk about Seattle Sounders in depth, we'll talk about the preseason for Minnesota United, some of the ins and outs in the transfer markets, do a little speculating as well in terms of the formation and what we think Adrian Heath will go for. And also in the next segment, We'll be joined by Sounders legend Casey Keller to talk all things Seattle Sounders. But first, let's fully focus on Minnesota United, shall we, Kindred D. St. Aubin. Wonderful preseason. Would you view it as a success in, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately what you can really hope for is that there aren't any major injuries. And I know Adrian Heath has talked about this quite a bit during the preseason, that you can go undefeated and score a gazillion goals in preseason, and then you can absolutely be terrible to start the regular season, and vice versa. You can be terrible in preseason and, and then dominate in the beginning of the season, the regular season. So I think ultimately what Adrian wants to see and what I think we were able to see from the little bits and pieces we saw is that everyone has come out relatively healthy, and then I think it's just a time for players to get together and gel and find that chemistry once again. I mean, you forget for how amazing Reynoso was when he stepped on the pitch late in the season last year for Minnesota United, that he wasn't a part of the club in the preseason, that he wasn't a part of the team starting in January of of 2020. And so now knowing that you've had that time to work with him, he's familiar with the guys, he's familiar with Minnesota. It's just a comfort level. You've got Hassani Dotson coming back in from, you know, from his duty with the Olympic squad. You have Dane St. Clair, who was away as well. And I just think Cal Montgomery with Canada. So I think these are just times where Adrian is using this this preseason to get guys on the same page, see how fit everyone came in. You'd Jan, Robin, Yuka, everybody gone for international duty for a bit. And now you're on the same page and you can move forward. So I would deem it as a success because they brought in a striker in Avila and uh, they can just start the season off on the right foot. And like we said, right back in Seattle where it all ended last season. The one glaring loss and and we had a chance to speak to Adrian Heath about this by the way so if you haven't checked out that podcast have a look at mnufc.com the one glaring loss was obviously Kevin Molina who we found out yesterday has has since been injured and he's going to be out for the next seven or eight weeks for the crew which is a shame for Kevin Molina but there was an obvious need to replace somebody who when he was at his best Kendra was ever so productive for Minnesota yeah, and we saw his ability on the ball every time he stepped on the pitch. Every time he was healthy, you could see the magic that Kevin Molino 
could work with the ball at his foot, what he could create, what he could score, the tight spaces. And I think what he was lacking a little bit um, during his time with Minnesota United was a, per, a player to play with in all those circumstances. Well, Emmanuel Reynoso comes into the fold and you could see it from the first second they stepped on the pitch together. We weren't allowed at training last season, but how many times did Adrian tell us it was you know, simply magical watching those two work together and combine. So then Kevin Molino had someone to combine with. Emmanuel Reynoso had someone that he could rely on to give the ball and get it back. And they kind of were on the same wavelength. So I think it is, it was a loss for Minnesota United, but at the same time, 49% of the games is what Kevin Molino played in. And so often it felt like it was one game on two games off for Kevin Molino when you're dealing with soft tissue injuries. And especially at this point in his career that Minnesota rightfully so, in my opinion, moved on from Kevin Molino because he wanted a three-year deal and Minnesota United wasn't willing to commit that. Um, because of because of his health, because of those issues, because of his age, and kind of his lack of availability um, over the past four years. So, um, you know, best wishes to him and, and Columbus crew when he does get back and healthy and on the pitch. But uh, I think Minnesota United is ready to move on from him and find other players that can step in and fill that void. Another player that Minnesota United have moved on from, um, perhaps not necessarily their choice either, was Luis Amaria, who ended up going to Liga de Quito down in Ecuador, and arguably the biggest club in Ecuador. And let's not forget as well, Kate, it's a place where he had major success as well before coming to Minnesota. It's a place that is very well respected, borderline loved. I could see the attraction going back down to Ecuador. But at one stage, it seemed as though the deal was done and he was going to be rejoining Minnesota United. So how frustrating is it from a professional point of view in terms of a coach's point of view, but, but also from a, a fan's point of view, how frustrating is it when you're that close to getting a deal done for it to well, fall Well, look, I don't know all the inside details of this and how it came about or how it fell through or, or however we want to phrase it, but I really got the feeling that Luis Amaria wanted to be here, yes. that he wanted to come back, and he felt as a professional that he owed it to the club, to the fan base, and to himself to come back for another season and get the 25 goals that he had promised in that press conference that blew up the internet and the local media before everything shut down. And he did score goals in his first couple games and, and matches before he was injured. And they went back to MLS or went down to Orlando for MLS's back. And he suffered an injury that just didn't seem to go away. And he couldn't quite bounce back from it as it was nagging on and on. Um, so I felt bad for him because I do feel like he truly believed that he wanted to come back and be a part of this Minnesota United club. And you don't think once Reynoso arrived, he wanted to play with him, you know, and we could even see some of that ticky tack combination play with Molino and Amaria in those first couple games of the season and how they could play off of each other and how he was so smart at finding the space and getting in on the end of crosses. And he's not a big body. He's not super fast. You physically, you look at him and you're like, what attributes does he have? But he just kind of had that, you know, soccer IQ. So really unfortunate that he didn't get another opportunity to come back here and really prove to the fan base and to himself um, what he's capable of. But at the same time, we know these, these deals can go haywire quickly. You don't know how much the player is in control, what the agent is doing. Sometimes the agent kind of is, has a mind of his own and maybe isn't even talking to the player. And again, I don't know all the details, but um, I think that's it's a bummer that he did not return. I don't know how that came about. And, and I wish him the best of luck. And I wouldn't be shocked if he gives it another go in MLS at some point in his career and returns. Because I do believe he enjoyed his time here and was just really frustrated with his injury. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I can see him scoring 
bags of goals down in Ecuador and somebody in MLS thinking will take him. That'll be really interesting to see what happens with him over the course of the next few years. What about another young South American player that didn't return to the club as well? Technically, he's still on the roster, but Thomas Chacon out on loan to Liverpool FC in Uruguay, not in England. That would have been quite something. Um, he needed games, didn't he? And he wasn't going to get those games at Minnesota United for whatever reason. Um, this will be interesting now to see how they assess Thomas Chacon because I get the feeling, Kendra, he's going to do very well in the Uruguayan Primera Division. Surely, one would assume at the very least, if he does well, he'll be welcomed back with open arms. You know, that's a really unfortunate one for me because I think you have this young player from Uruguay just coming off a U-20 World Cup in which he played with Brian Rodriguez, who saw success in L.A. And so, I, you know, in my mind, I kept continually sort of putting them on the same page. And I know they're not the same player and I know they're not necessarily at the same level. But sometimes it's about the style of play and the team you're going to and just how is that team going to use you? And you, you hit the nail on the head. He needed games. He's an 18-year-old that's coming to another country doesn't know anybody here. He's trying to find his minutes. He's trying to find his game and trying to be comfortable in the scenario. And then you go into 2020 and you're in a pandemic and it, it, it's exacerbated, you know, 10 times. So I think that we could see from the very first training session of 2019, when he was on the field, the quality he had on the ball, his creativity and the little dinks and dunks and his stature didn't even matter. He just had the quality on the ball, but it was, the lack of defense, maybe the lack of physicality, just understanding what Adrian wanted and needed from him day in and day out, day out, whether that was in training or whether it was on the field do, you know, for a match, which he didn't get a lot of minutes because of the way he was performing in training. So I, another one of those players, I wish him the best of luck. Maybe he just needs to grow up a little bit. He needs a little bit more minutes. He needs more games. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him back here at some point. But so much is going to depend on what does Minnesota's roster look at that point? What does it look like? It's so hard to say with the direction of this league and the way Minnesota United just continues to elevate their game and climb the rungs. And I mean, you had a Western Conference semifinal last year. You know, so um, or Western Conference final, beg your pardon, that I, I just think that it's going to be tough for Chacon to get back in to this lineup the way it's looking right now. But you never know what can happen. I do think he's a quality player. Just didn't work at this time here in Minnesota. I love the kind of creativity that he has on the ball, but he's got to pick and choose his moments and maybe just be a little bit smarter with his play, his defensive abilities smarter with the passing and keeping possession. You can't turn it over in the places he was turning it over, but I would love to see him succeed at, at some point. And I think Adrian really liked him. I mean, he, you know, he was a player that Adrian was very high on when he came in and it just didn't fit. And that's not the first international foreign player we've seen in this league come over here and not work immediately. No, not at all. Um, on the other side of things, let's take a look at the latest elevated Minnesota United roster, shall we? In terms of the new players coming in, Callum Montgomery, was one. Uh, Ramon Avila, the most eagerly awaited position, I think, finally done. And we expect there more to be done in that area as well. Nico Hansen uh, was added from Houston Dynamo. Uh, there was uh, Will Trapp coming in from into Miami, as well as Juan Agutello. Duca Raitala, who last season, of course, played with Montreal Impact. Justin McMaster was drafted and signed. DJ Taylor came from North Carolina in USL. Patrick Weir was coming uh, into Minnesota United as a homegrown player. And uh, Nabilai Kimbucci um, coming in as a draft player as well and signed permanently. Um, I, I think, again, Kendra, it, it's obvious that there was, there was a need. Um, 
there was an obvious need for, for new players to come in with the amount of players that left Minnesota United. Um, but I think this has probably been one of the busier transfer windows Minnesota United have, have had during their spell in Major League Soccer. Um, is it perhaps, from a, a quality standpoint, the best transfer window they've had during their spell in Major League Soccer? Doesn't it kind of feel weird to say that? Because we have texts going back and forth through the offseason going, good Lord, are they going to assign anybody? What is going on here? Because you'd hear the rumors, you'd hear the names flying around, you'd see other people reporting the possibilities. And sometimes I feel like uh, in MLS, we gauge a good offseason based on big international signings that are worth a ton of money. And to me, I think you're, I, I think you're right. If you're saying you think it's one of the better off seasons for Minnesota United, as far as adding players, I would agree with you because I think that the, the value of bringing in MLS players who know the league, who have proven themselves to a certain extent in this league, they're familiar with how this league works, the style of play, of this league, I think that it's a little bit undervalued now with the amount of big money internationals that are brought in. So Juan Aguadello, Will Trapp, Nico Hansen, another player who, you know, was a spark and a player that you have to contend with at Houston. And I think we saw that in the last season um, against Minnesota United. I think you can't underestimate the value of having players that understand the league, that understand the style of play, understand the physicality, they understand the schedule, the travel, all those things that we just discussed and talked about, and especially in a continuing on of this COVID year as people, you know, start to get vaccinated and whatnot. Um, I think that it was a massive offseason for Minnesota United. And then they finally brought in a number nine in Abila that I think can really contribute, has that chemistry, that familiarity, as we hope with Emmanuel Reynoso, and still some additions forthcoming. Let's not forget, you still have Robin Lud. You still have Ethan Finley. You still have Michael Boxwell on that back line. Chase Gasper, Roma Metzenier, Hassani Dotson. We could go down the list. Ozzy Alonso is back. So there are so many good pieces still and quality pieces of this roster that you can really rely on and count on. And then you add some of these others that are familiar with the league, a couple international signings. And I think it's really coming together nicely just in time for the start of the season. Yeah, there's some really, really good pickups this year for Minnesota United. I am intrigued with the starting eleven that Adrian Heath will put out against Seattle Sounders. We'll, we'll get to that in a bit. In terms of the actual players that have come in, Kendra, in Minnesota United this offseason, is, is there anybody that really stands out to you as, as a potential difference maker? Because I, I, I'll ask you about Abila separately, because I've said my say, I, I've had my say on him. I, I would love your opinion on him in a bit. But is there anybody, apart from Abila, from the new group that have joined, that you think straight away, instantly... That's a starting 11 caliber player. He will start in Seattle. Well, I would say, I would say Nico Hansen in the way that we think that Adrian Heath might play and what they need to do against Seattle. And I think that he has really impressed Adrian Heath um, in the preseason and, and the limited time that we've been able to see him. But he's one of those players that to me is faster with the ball at his foot than without the ball. He can wreak havoc. Adrian Heath said when he played against Nico Hansen, he's one of those guys you always have to know where he is on the pitch because he can cause problems, um, as we've seen with Houston Dynamo wingers and, and attacking players in the past. Um so I think that um, he could be a real difference maker for this club if he's healthy, can stay healthy. He's kind of an energizer bunny, just buzzes around, doesn't get tired. But I will say, if Juan Aguadello is healthy, and I don't know what his status is. I know we we know that he didn't play in the last scrimmage down in, in, in Orlando, but who knows, that could just be precautionary going into the season. 
I think if he takes advantage of his opportunity up top, when he gets the opportunity with Emmanuel Reynoso, he is the kind of guy his mentality seems to be, even though he's only 28 years old, I believe, to really grasp this chance to redeem himself, not happy with what happened in inner Miami at, at Miami last season, not feeling like he maybe got a, a fair shake with his chances there, get back to his form. He's still trying to be in the mix for the U.S. men's national team, which is a huge driving force for a player like that at that age. And he said to us, this number 10, number nine combo, he wants to be on the score sheet. He's got a player like, like Emmanuel Reynoso sitting underneath him, giving him the ball, finding him whenever necessary, knowing where to put the ball. He said the other day on a call that I was on, he has no problem being a wall. If, he want, if, if Reynoso wants to use him as a wall pass, he has no problem doing that for a player of that level and this quality um, with Reynoso. So I think Juana Guadello could have a bust out year if he stays healthy, gets the minutes and gets the opportunity and really find some chemistry with Emmanuel Reynoso. Would be huge, wouldn't it? I, I still think, and, and we've said this, on, I think, two or three different podcasts now, Kerry. I still think that Juan Agudelo comes into this Minnesota United team with a bit of a point to prove. I remember when he came through the Red Bulls Academy and he was just flawless and everybody thought this was the next big thing. He was going to go on to Europe, which he did. Had issues with a work permit in, in England, so he never got to play in the Premier League, um, but did play in, in Holland for a little while um, before finding his way back into MLS. And I just think it's not really worked out how he and many others thought. So... I would assume, if I'm him, I've got a massive chip on my shoulder and I want to prove people because there's plenty of doubters out there now because it didn't work out how everybody thought it would. So I think he comes into Minnesota with a massive chip on his shoulder and I don't think that's a bad thing as well. Um, competition is going to be ripe from a centre-forward point of view this season. Um, the one man that he, he may have to dislodge is Ramon Avila. As I said earlier on, I've had my say. What are your thoughts on, on this centre-forward day? 31 years of age. Um, has played at, um, hopefully there's no River Plate fans listening, the biggest club in Argentina, the Boca Juniors, um, and has performed very well. I think it was a goal every three games was his record um, in, um, in league level, in league play. Um, I, I think there were moments when, when, he, when he turned up, the moments when he disappeared, I thought, particularly some of the bigger games and even the Copa Libertadores as well. Um, but, Avila, no doubt, has qualities. But what do you expect from him? Is he somebody that Minnesota can rely on for consistent goals? Well, for me, I can only do a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe what a lot of people who have been keeping an eye on Avila and what he's going to bring to the table is, is watch video on him. Listen to what other people are saying about him because I have not seen enough of him in person to really make inform that opinion but what we have known is that he scores goals he is a goal scorer that is what Adrian Heath has said time and time again to us and that's what you need and I remember in his press conference just the other day his media availability he said very you know very rightly it's it's about you know capitalizing on the opportunity when you get the ball in that area you have to finish it so it's not necessarily about the quantity of chances, it's about the quality of the chances as far as what you do with it and finishing the opportunity. So I think the biggest asset to Minnesota United and Ramon Avila is going to be Emmanuel Reynoso. And I'm not saying that because we know Reynoso's abilities. It's because of their 
ability to link up because they have a familiarity with each other. They've come from the same club. They've come from the same style of play. Adrian said it was like a love fest when Abila showed up in, in Florida because of just the familiarity and the sense of knowing how to play with one another, knowing where he wants the ball, knowing how best to get it to him, how best to put him in a position to succeed. And I think that is going to be the biggest asset. It will be huge for Minnesota United to have a, a striker, a number nine, that can finish the opportunity when given it. And we've seen that time and time again. You may touch the ball twice in a game, but if you finish those chances, that's all that matters. And I remember even, um, I think it was Juan Aguadalo was talking the other day about Charlie Davies when he first came in the league. He's like, who is this guy? He's not even that good. But when the ball would come in the box, he would finish it. He would bury it. And that is why Charlie Davies was so good. I think for any striker, that is the point. You are paid to score goals. That is why he is brought here. And he's come from a high pressure situation in Boca Juniors and with that club. And if Reynoso and they have a comfort level, I think that is going to be the biggest asset. There's questions about his style of play, about his ability to play, to high press, as I'm sure you're going to get into. And what can he do with kind of that stocky build? What kind of an attacking player is he going to be? How is he going to combine? How is he going to fit in this league? But I think if he can score goals and bury those chances, that is all that matters. And that's what Minnesota United, Adrian Heath, Mark Watson, that's what they want from him. But if Adrian Heath wants to play high pressing, is he going to buy into that? Emmanuel Reynoso is high pressing. He's energetic. He's a workhorse in the middle. Will we get that from Abela? I'm not sure. And, and you know, I think that a little bit remains to be seen when he steps on the pitch and, and if he's game fit. He does have that almost gritty, dirty, nasty goal-scoring nous about yes. it. Um, plenty of his goals have come from inside the six-yard box. So many times at Boca Juniors, he, he has these two fabulous wide players in Salvio and Villa either side of him who, who supply him with so much service and an individual you might have heard of before, Carlos Tevez playing in the 10 behind him. Um, so it's not as if he, he, he's lacked service at Boca Juniors. He's had opportunities. And I get the feeling that Emmanuel Reynoso will provide him with plenty of service as well as you say. Um, but when, uh, you say, sir, wait, when a, you say service, Cal, real quick, are we talking like, oh, you know, Minnesota United the first couple of years just launching balls in the box in the air? Or when you talk Reynoso, are you talking playing defeat, finding him in those little pockets of space, slotting him through. When you when you reference service, which kind of service are you referencing? It, it, I think it depends, Kate, on, on the situation and on the game because, you know, there's so many players that are, are so capable of floating in those deft little balls um, from, from wide areas. But we've seen players like Ethan Femme who can lash a ball across and Ramon Abila would be the player who would throw himself at the back post to, to get onto the end of it. He'd slide in. He'd... he'd you know, probably executed diving heady. You know, he is one of those players who is he's very good, um, as I've said before, in tight spaces in front of goal and, and particularly inside the penalty area. Um, but my, my biggest concern is, is as I said before, is, is the, the pressing situation. And I wonder if that's going to change things for, for Adrian as it forced him to perhaps adapt a little bit um, and adopt a, a new, um, not, not a completely new system, but certainly a, a, a new idea from an attacking point of view. Um, because I... Adrian has said for so long uh, about um, wanting a centre-forward to, to defend from the front. Um, it, it's been so effective for Minnesota, particularly when Reynoso came in and the centre-forward that, that was pressing. Um, and even when they weren't pressing as well, like, in, Robin Lord was such a conundrum in that false nine position. Um, it caused all sorts of problems. But what it did was it, it dropped the opponent's 
back line back and, and it gave Reynoso so much space. And that's my concern is, is that are, are we going to see Reynoso with the ball um, higher up the field in the sense of more towards the centre circle rather than towards the 18-yard box of the opposition because there's nobody pressing, because there's nobody forcing the issue? Does, does that limit the sort of service that he can give now? I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm just intrigued to see what happens. Like I said, I'm trying not to be negative about it because I do think it's a, it's a really good acquisition. If you'd have said to me, you know, when, when Minnesota first came into the league, Kerry, if you'd have said that they're going to end up with Ramon Avila on the roster, I'd have laughed. So there's absolutely no way they're ever going to attract somebody like that. Um, and here they are with what was essentially the, the Boca Juniors centre-forward for the last two, three years. Um, on the roster so look I'm interested to see because I do think he's good in tight spaces I do think he'll score goals Um, I think he's going to get service from the wide areas but I think more than anything the service is going to come from Reynoso um, and it'll come from those little delicate passes in between the lines because Avilo is very good at playing off the shoulder Um, I, I just as I said my only concern is when Reynoso plays that ball through how high up the field are Minnesota um, because I don't think Abula has the pace to to take a touch or two and get away from the centre-half then. You know what I mean? So I, I, I'm interested to see what happens there. But look, either way, when Minnesota get close to the to the opposition goal, I, I think there's all sorts of threat from Abula. Well, and, you know, I've talked a lot about the chemistry between Reynoso and Abula and, like, what what is it going to look like? Because we've been told a lot about it, but we haven't gotten to see it a lot in person. Think back to the games that Reynoso played last season. When did you see him most frustrated? What was happening on the pitch? Because there were a few times that at halftime, post-game, you and I would look at each other, even at training, that he seemed frustrated with the play or lack thereof of others around him. When did you remember seeing that? What was going on in that match? I'm just wondering if Abela is going to rectify that or add to it. Yeah, the, the most frustrated I've ever seen Reynoso was there was a, a regular season game last year. I can't remember where the Minnesota were playing, but he walked off the field. It was at Allianz Field, and he was irate. Um, and to my understanding, it was because of the lack of movements up front. And I don't know if that was when Kai Kamara was, was up front. I don't know if that was when Robin Lurd was in the false nine. I can't remember. But but I, I get what you're saying here, is that now there's actually, and I, and I say this with all due respect, because Kai Kamara, I, I think, would have worked for Minnesota several years ago with the way that they used to play, getting the ball out wide as quickly as possible and crossing in as, as many times as possible in the air. Um, but I, I think um, I think Ramon Avila has wonderful movement. As I said earlier on, he plays off the shoulder very well. Um, and I think he and Reynoso will forge a very good partnership. Um, I'm just very interested to see where they do it. Are they going to be given the opportunity to combine inside the penalty area. I think they will, of course they will at some stage, but are they going to do it regularly enough for it to be deemed a success? Um, look, as I said earlier on, Kay, I, I think Gabila is a very, very good sign. And the other good thing as well is that it's a loan deal. Um, and the option to buy is nowhere near as, as big as it was previously reported as well. So it is, it is low risk, high reward. If it goes well, they can purchase it. Um, and if it doesn't go well, they can send him back to Boca Juniors and it's their problem. So, you know, uh, look, as I said, um, I, I think it's it's signs of growth for the club that you, you've all of a sudden, you've got these two players who were so key to Boca Juniors several years ago, and now here they are. It's also a, a sign of growth for Major League Soccer as well. And I say, I say this with all due respect as well, okay, c- coming from overseas, you know, when you talk of these players like, like Reynoso and Avila, um, 
just a, even a couple of years ago, you would have said, you know, if, if someone like that is going to go to Major League Soccer, they would go to New York City or they would go to LA Galaxy or Toronto or somewhere like that. But they're here in Minnesota. And I think that's tremendous credit to the ownership group who have put their hands in their pockets and said that these are the kind of players that we want to be known for attracting now. These are the types of players that we're going to bring in. And I think that's tremendously commendable. Um, it's only going to be better. It's only um, getting better for Minnesota, um, in my opinion. And, and I think, as I said earlier on at the top of the programme, I, I seriously think this is the best roster that they've ever had. Um, and I know I've not been encyclopedic by saying that because we can all see it. But um, And there's more to come as well. And, and I'm just very excited to see what happens. I think with the, the light roster of the Sounders, it, it's the best opportunity that Minnesota have got to claim a victory away at Seattle Sounders on Friday, which, by the way, we should talk about a little bit, shouldn't we? Enough of my rambling. Um, the Sounders are perennial winners in this league, Kay. Um, it's always difficult to go there. It's, um, it's one of the biggest challenges in Major League Soccer. But the roster's a little bit light, isn't it? I, I don't think they are as threatening as they have been in previous years. Now, maybe that's because of, of the light roster, or also maybe it's because of the roster Minnesota were put together. I think they're light on the roster. And I know you and I talked about this the other day. I mean, I'm going to put my board together and I'm, you know, at other teams I'm running out of room to put lines. And with Seattle Sounders, I've got 10 lines left, you know, on my board trying to figure out, well, okay, there's a lot of homegrowns here. There's a lot of youngsters listed on their roster, but who's really going to play and, and where do they go beyond the starting 11? And what if they suffer another injury to a major player, like, like they already did to Jordan Morris. So I think their depth is really lacking. And although Seattle Sounders have been sort of known for these second half of the season runs, take advantage of these summer transfer windows. I think that this is the lightest roster I've seen from Seattle in quite some time, maybe 2016, you know, I'd really have to dig in to think about, you know, prior to that, what, what, what did it look like? It's hard to remember what it looked like pre Nico Ladero really with the Seattle Sounders at times. Um, but I think that this is, a, this is going to be Minnesota's game for the taking. And I know that's saying a lot, but um, it's at Seattle. They're going to have fans, which makes a big difference as we know in, in that stadium, even though it's not 40,000, but Minnesota United has a point to prove. They do not like how it ended there last year. Whether you were on this team or not for Minnesota United, I'm sure the leaders of that club are going to let you know how it ended last year. And Adrian Heath might be showing some clips of that last 15 minutes of the match. Um, so I think that uh, the Seattle team still has their core. They have Christian Roldan. They have Nico Ladero. They have Raul Rui Diaz, who just comes in this league and scores goals. And um, Jao Paulo in midfield will get to see him for a whole real season, which I think is a, di a difference maker for them. They've got Stefan Frangle, which is, you know, what are you going to say when you have a goalkeeper that can save your butt time and time again? I think their back line is still a question mark for me. How are they going to use the outside backs, the wing backs? How are they going to use the two forward system? Will Bruin? Um, but I think this is, this is Minnesota's time to really take it to Seattle in the beginning of the season and put a kind of a stomping on this club because of how it went down last season. And I would love to see that start for, for Adrian Heath and his, and his club. Okay. Before we head to break and focus fully on Seattle Sounders with the ex USA goalkeeper, Casey Keller, let's do some reckless speculation, shall we? Okay. Um, in terms of starting 11, for Minnesota United, you know, we've had a long time to think about this. 
Um, and now, knowing what we know, we know there's a couple of little niggles in the first team roster as well. So that could very well um, mean that the lineups that we see here look very different. But I'll give you mine first. This is how I think Minnesota are going to the lineup. I think Tyler Miller is going to start in goal. I think the back line from right to left will be Metinier, Boxall, Raitala, and Gasper. I think they're going to go 4 3 3. I think Trapp will sit in the six role. I think the two centre midfielders ahead of him will be Gregush and Dotson. And then the three, in inverted commas, forwards, um, I think Reynoso, and the, the wide players will, will be tucked in a little bit here, in my opinion. Reynoso on the right. And then it's a toss-up of, I think, pre-season-wise, I think Nico Hansen deserves the start on the left-hand side where he's been so productive. Um, and then, because of a couple of niggles, I could certainly see Robin Lourdes starting up front. Um, if Juan Agudelo is OK to go, as I said, we were told it's a little niggle, so we don't know. If he is good to go, I would start Agudelo up front and I would have Lourdes and Reynoso either side of him. Um, and that might be harsh to a couple of others, but I think that's the strongest team to go with at the start with what you've got available. Um, in an ideal world, you would start Ramon Abila, but he hasn't played competitive football since mid-January. On turf as well, you have to be careful. Um, so that's my starting 11, Kendra. At least my, my prediction. What about you? So... I'm going to go Dane St. Clair and goal. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, we've heard about this goalkeeper battle. We've heard the best thing is competition. We saw what Dane did last season. I know it's only a handful of games. I know he's young. I totally understand that. I know Tyler Miller is the veteran, the savvy veteran coming back from a double hip impingement surgery. But as far as we know, he's been healthy, good to go, played in Orlando, but they've pretty much been splitting time. I'm going to go with Dane St. Clair thinking that, you know, it's totally my, like you said, wild speculation that at some point they think Dane St. Clair is the goalkeeper of this club for the future if he sticks around and if he stays here and stays healthy. I'm going Dane St. Clair, and he was good in the playoffs as well. Back line, I'm with you. Roma Metzanier, Michael Boxel, Yukar Vitala, Chase Gasper. We have not seen Baki Debassi at all in preseason, um, so we, you know, we just don't know what the situation is there. So Vitala totally capable of playing left center back, being left-footed. Yes. I'm a toss up there with the Will Trap. I think that could be Ozzy Alonso based purely on the emotional aspect of returning to Seattle and just knowing that he is still so solid. I, I think that he could start in that position if he's healthy and good to go. But to me, it's more about how many minutes. If they can't get at least 60 to 70 minutes out of Ozzy Alonso, then I would go with Will Trap. Then you go Will Trap, he can play 90, no problem. Adrian has raved about him in the preseason and how he's even a better player than he thought he was. And he already thought pretty highly of him and his ability to connect his leadership, his understanding of, of just the game and what Adrian's trying to do. So that to me is a little bit of a toss up. Greg and Dotson. I hope Dotson pushes on. I want him to be the attack, attacking player between him and Greg I think his ability to combine and what we saw in the Olympics in particular and and his you know uh, allowance to push on there under Jason Christ his combination play I think he's going to be better at combining with Renoso and Lord and whoever is in there I would put him and Dotson but Dotson and Gregush I would put Johnson pushing up higher up the field and then I think actually Ethan Finley might get a shot if he's healthy instead of Nico Hansen and that's purely just based on again his um his familiarity with the system his familiarity with his club. He really started to click with Renoso and Lourdes last year with Lourdes in that false nine. And that's, again, assuming Aguadel is not healthy. So I would take Hansen out. I would put Ethan Finley in. I would keep Lourdes and Renoso up there. And then Gregus Johnson, 
trap slash uh, Ozzy Alonzo purely based on emotion and sentimental value. And then the back line, same. And I'm going Dane St. Clair. Purely, purely wild speculation. I have no inside information whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, wonderful stuff. Uh, I have lots of questions off the air for you. <laughs> <laughs> with that then uh, we'll take a short break uh, next up it is all about Seattle Sounders FC uh, with their former goalkeeper Casey Camp. and a very warm welcome back to the match preview podcast it's all about the Seattle Sounders on opening weekend for Minnesota United Callum Williams as always alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin and Kendra, we have a very special guest joining us to preview the Seattle Sounders. It's Mr. Seattle Soccer himself, oh, yeah. the former Tottenham, Fulham, Borussia <laughs> Mönchengladbach, and United States goalkeeper, Casey Kelly. No pressure there, Casey. Welcome no, to the podcast. How are you? Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, so, let's get straight into it, shall we? Um, it's safe to say there was disappointment in MLS Cup for the Sounders. Um, over the off-season, how have people reacted to it? How have the Sounders prepared for the forthcoming campaign? Well, I mean, I think like a lot of clubs around the world, you know, COVID has had its its issues. And I think I think the Sounders would be no different. I think when you're used to having 35,000, 40,000 people in, in into every game uh, and, and then you have zero for, you know, I think almost the whole season except for one match or two matches that, it, yeah, it, it has an effect. And And I think the Sounders were very happy with their squad. Uh, they were able to... Uh, not necessarily overly strengthened, but are, but are happy with some of the young players coming through, give them opportunities. I think the really the big question mark is going to be uh, the loss of Jordan Morris. And, and that was, you know, going to be an issue. It looked like he was, you know, he was on loan at Swansea when he got injured and possibly make that a permanent deal. But, uh, but they, so they were preparing to be without him. And, you know, that, you can't coach that pace in behind that, that Jordan has shown for, for several years now. And, and the way he could unlock defenses at any time. And, and so I think that's the one question mark uh, going into this season is how they're going to cope without, without Jordan. And, and there hasn't been you know, a like-for-like like signing or somebody that you would say, okay, he's definitely going to step into to Jordan's role. So there, there might be some shuffling around in, in formations and, and, the, and the way that the coaching staff addresses it. But uh, overall, I think the Sounders are happy with the, with the squad they have. They know that in years past when they've needed to strengthen in the summer, they've had the ability and the finances to do that and have been very successful from that. So uh, I think that's the way they're, they're, they're heading towards the start of this season. You mentioned Jordan Morris and his ability to stretch the back line. And I've, I've heard Schmetzer, he's been, he's been very vocal about changing to this two forward system. He talked about what Jordan Morris brings that doesn't show up on the score sheet on the stat sheet and just how he can change defenses and keep them off balance and what he does to open up spaces for others. And you said there's not a like for like signing, but this is a big opportunity for a player like a Will Bruin who seems to just step off the bench and always score goals. How do you see that playing out in this two forward system that Schmetzer seems very high on? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Will is, you know, obviously a proven MLS goal scorer. I think he's been was frustrated when he came back from his injury that he didn't have uh, more playing time, particularly from the beginning of matches. Uh, and it's and it's a big opportunity. And I think Will's, 
you know, proven uh, during this preseason that obviously, or, or the coaches wouldn't have contemplated changing the system to make sure that, uh, that, that they put Will in. Now, what will that mean for, you know, a Rui Diaz or a Freddie Montero? Do they drop a little deeper? Are they playing side by side? Uh, so, yeah, it, it will probably take some time to uh, for the players to adjust to one another and playing in that role. And, and that's one of the, I think, one of the benefits of MLS when so many teams make the playoffs. And, you know, it's not a case of if you have a slow start, it doesn't really matter. If, if that happens in some other leagues in the world, uh, then you're not winning the championship. So, so the you know, MLS teams have that benefit to, to start seasons, experiment with, with new things, new players coming in, figure out exactly, you know, what are the best combinations, uh, what are the best formations, and, and, you know, really, you know, by the middle of the summer, get it right, get your form right, go into the playoffs and, and win something. Somewhat of a nostalgic signing, uh, your former teammate, Freddie Montero, rejoining Seattle Sounders during the off-season, Casey. Um, how excited are the fan base to welcome him back? And what can he offer at the age of 33? Yeah, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see kind of how this this works out for Freddie. I know he had a lot of, obviously, a lot of friends and family still in the Seattle area. It was something I think that he was, you know, always planning on moving back to Seattle and to be able to move back and, and finish his career as a sounder, I'm sure, is extremely important to him. I haven't had an opportunity to speak with him yet. Uh, and, and I'll be looking forward to catching up with them uh, soon. But, but I, I snuck into the preseason game the other day, and and uh, you know, and, and as I saw, you know, as his, you know, as his, as he got older when he moved to to Vancouver, he was playing more withdrawn. You know, playing more as a as kind of a, a playmaker as as opposed to maybe an out and out striker, and and, and that role looked very apparent the other day, but he still has a great touch. He still uh, has an eye for goal, but I think over the years, he's, 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 he's added a lot more assists to his game. So I think it's a great compliment for, for Rui Diaz, for Will Bruin. Uh, you know, I think he'd also be able to cover in midfield, at least in an attacking midfield role for a, for a Ladero. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a good now is, the question always arises when you're somebody like a Freddie and you've always started, um, you know, are you comfortable, uh, you know, having a secondary role? Now, I don't know if he's going to have a secondary role. I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, talking out loud about, about those possibilities. And, and I think if Freddie buys into whatever role he's asked to do, I think he'll be a, a great contributing member to the squad. With Nico Ladero and what he brings to Seattle Sounders, it's a name that everybody, including Minnesota United, especially after the way the season ended last year, is familiar with and familiar with in this league. What makes him so special? We can read the adjectives on the page, but if, if you're someone who's listening to this that hasn't watched a lot of Nico Ladero, what makes him so special? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, nobody works harder on the pitch than Nico. And when you have your your DP setting that example of being the hardest working player on the pitch, it's infectious to everybody else around you. And and then you combine that with the ability that he has. It, it's a reason why he's he's been one of the best playmaking midfielders in MLS since the time he got here. And, it, and it's really been a you know one of those key links that that was that. Uh, that big push why Sounders were close 
in the past to then pushing into MLS cups and winning a couple of them is, is, is because of the ability that Nico has. And, and uh, you know, that, that leadership, but, but really that infectious work rate, because, you know, I mean, he's not a super vocal guy. He's not a guy that's, you know, he, he's not the necessarily the, the Ozzy Alonso type, but, but he, uh, he sets, you know, he leads by example, and it's and it's uh, very, very important for a squad that when you have one of your highest paid players every day in training, always, you know, being that example to, to younger players that there's a lot more to this game than just talent. And, and you know, Nico's, Nico's proven that. Let me ask you this, Casey. Uh, going through the prep over the course of the last few days and looking at the Sounders roster, I couldn't help but think it looked a little light compared to previous years. You said that, no doubt, the coaching staff are happy with the squad that they have at the moment. But I wonder, with perhaps not as many players on the roster and, and not as many players you would expect in the first eleven, and the initial expectation that always seems to surround the Sounders, with all that in mind, is the expectation similar to what it has been in previous years for the forthcoming season? Uh, I, I would think so, but I would agree with you as well. I think the overall squad, uh, particularly in depth, uh, is is lighter. I think they're happy with their starting, uh, their starting eleven to a to a couple reserves. But we've seen that in years past. <coughs> Excuse me, where they've where they started the season and, and and put an emphasis on giving some kids some opportunities. But then what they're not afraid to do is realizing two, three months into the season, uh, when, when they, if it doesn't work out, that then they'll be able to make moves in the summer. And as we know, you know because of the, the timing of, uh, the timing of, of, the, of MLS seasons, it's a lot easier to be picking up players in May and June uh, than it is to be picking up in, in January. And, and so I think the Sounders feel that it's, it's, it's money better spent if they can get through that first. Thank you, Roscoe. If they can get through that first part, you know, of the season, give some people some opportunities, make a better evaluation of their squad, and then if they need to make changes, they have the space and the finances to do it when more players are available, as opposed to just signing somebody for the sake of signing them and not really getting the right player. Because in the end. You know, it's, it's, it's a long-term game more than it is just the quick fixes. But if you can get the right player for the right price in January, of course, it's ideal. But if you can't, I think it's that the Sounders have, have proven that it, it makes more sense to wait for the right player in the summer and, and make the deal then. Is there anybody looking at, and not to focus on players that aren't any longer there, but was there anybody that didn't return, didn't come back, they didn't extend or resign that you're going, wow, that I'm kind of shocked by that? Or was there nobody that you think is going to be really missed on this Sounders team? No, I think some of it was also you, you know, it's such a bean count, you know, when you're dealing with an MLS salary cap that sometimes you like players, but then you weigh in and in, in what they're, their their cost is to the cap versus what you have for somebody younger making less money and that all comes into the equation. I think the really the you know the big question mark, you know, not not that there wasn't talented players that weren't resigned, but but still what we talked about before in that loss of Jordan Morris and then not replacing a, a similar player that can, you know, at least on paper right now, look to to have that kind of pace to to just create something out of nothing getting in behind. And, and I think that's the, 
you know, that was the question mark when they let him go on loan. Uh, obviously, we all assumed that it was going to become a permanent deal. Uh, but but then to not be able to 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 make that signing at this point in time, that is a is at least that that looks like a like for like replacement is, is the big I think is the big elephant in the room that that we're looking at to see how the coaching staff copes with that, how the team then looks um, without that dynamic pace on the left side. It's probably a, a slightly unfair question I'm about to ask you here, Casey, but given the nature of Jordan Morris's career and his ability and, and the eyeballs that he's obviously got on him, once he does recover from his injury, do you expect him to perhaps try something else elsewhere? That's a good question because I think last time when he when he did the ACL on the other knee, he came back and and it, it, yeah, I mean, of course, it took him a few weeks to to really get into the to swing things, but he had a very successful season and then went on and and you know reestablished himself with the national team. You know, obviously, you know, the older you get, the harder it is for you then to get bought by Europe because they're looking at a less time frame that you're going to be available for them. So, look, I, I think right now we're all just hoping Jordan uh, a very successful recovery, get back, uh, get back to the form and the and the and then kind of the dynamic play that we're used to seeing. And I think everybody in Seattle is is is. You know, happy if, if if Jordan plays for the Sounders, but they'll also take a ton of pride if he then is able to go to a to a team in Europe and be successful. So, you know, I think right now everyone's just looking at the individual himself and just hoping him the best, you know, whichever way that uh, that unfolds. Speaking of elephant in the room, it seemed like a lot of last season was Brian Schmetzer's contract. And right. did that weigh on the club at all? I and mean, clearly they made it to a final, but sure. in general, and then also how would you characterize his coaching style with all the coaches you've seen in your career? Well, I mean, I think there's, there's a few things. I mean, obviously it was an issue, but, but Brian didn't make it an issue and therefore it wasn't, uh, it wasn't paramount. I think it became more paramount with some of the other coaching staff because you know, they're kind of in limbo waiting to see what happens to the head coach and, you know, which had its, you know, which obviously COVID has had its own anxieties when it's come to uh, financial stability and, and job stability and, and, and everyone was kind of feeling the same way. And so in the coaching staff and, and probably just in the greater staff at the clubs, you know, throughout, you know, not just MLS, but the world and, and, but I thought Brian did a great job of not making it a, a, a major focus, and and because of that, it, it didn't, you know, it didn't transfer onto the team, and the team was able to battle through obviously a uh, an unprecedented season with the way that you know the the way the schedule worked out, the breaks, the Orlando, uh, you know, the the Canadian teams, and you know everything that kind of went on, and you know got themselves to a final, and yeah, I mean, disappointed of course that uh, you know they saved you know not a great game for the final, but give Columbus a ton of credit. I thought they they did a great job and made it very difficult for the Sounders. So. Um, and then now that, you know, Brian signed his contract and, 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 and the coaching staff signed, signed theirs, I think there was a, a real good focus going into this preseason. Now, what Brian, what I've always noticed with Brian is there's really zero insecurities. And because of that, 
you know, he has a, a stacked coaching staff, you know, where a lot of other coaches be, would be afraid to bring in a Champions League winner and Jimmy Traore and a Mexican international in, in Gonzo Pineda and a former, you know, MLS coach of the year, I'm pretty sure, in, in Precky. So when you – so that's a, a heck of a staff that Brian is, is, is really uh, happy to have, gives them the responsibilities, and then take nothing away from – you know, arguably, you know, the best goalkeeping coach in MLS and Tommy Dutra as well. So to have these, that really, really experienced, dedicated staff just shows you uh, that, that, that Brian's not worried about himself. He's just, he, he just knows that the better people I have around me, the better he is. And, and, that's, and that's a real uh, attribute that you don't see a lot. We spoke about potentially two centre-forwards starting against Minnesota on Friday, Casey. But what about the other end of the field? Um, we're hearing lots of suggestions that perhaps wing-backs are in the future of Seattle Sounders. Um, I don't think it'll be too much of a situation for Brad Smith at left wing-back, but Alex Roldan perhaps playing at right, right wing-back. I know he saw bits of, of right-back in the, the 2020 campaign, but it's not a regular role for him. How are we expecting him to fare on Friday? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think uh, we're all not only just questioning, you know, first of all, we're making assumptions on lineups um, and as, as we do at this stage, because we just don't have anything to go on uh, to see what tendencies have been. And, and yeah, it looks like that that's a possibility. Uh, is it then, you know, three center backs? Is it, yeah, I'm, I'm as eager as anybody to see exactly, you know, how they line up and, and then how that all works. And, and, and of course there's, there's always question marks when you change the formation and you're used to seeing players in a particular way. And, you know, that's what preseasons are for, you know, to play those, those matches, see if, if, if you think players can adapt to that new style and, and if you have the right players or not. And then as we forementioned, uh, you have time in MLS to get it right. You know, you have several weeks to to figure it out, and if it doesn't work, you can always go back and try what's been uh, true, or, or or you realize you need to make some um, some transfers if 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 you're if you're so set on playing a particular way, and and I and, and I'm I'm excited to see as well if if there's a, a kid that emerges, you know, that I wasn't really aware of, or that he'd only played bit parts here and there, and and because that's that's what I love seeing. I love seeing, seeing people get the opportunity, uh, but then you have to take the opportunity. And, and I'm, not a, I'm not a fan at all of, of well, I'm going to give you a chance, and I'm going to give you another chance. And another, that, for me, that's not pro sports. <laughs> pro sports is, here's your chance. Are you good enough? Nope. Yes. No. Okay. Gone. Next. And, and that's just the way. It's, it's, a, it's a ruthless, ruthless profession. And, and that's uh, where we need to get to. So I'm excited to see if some of these kids are good enough. And then I'm just as excited to see if they're not. And then what's the next option? Well, we talked about Seattle roster maybe being a little bit light. When I was doing my board as well, I'm thinking I, I don't have enough lines filled in here um, and, and trying to figure out which youngsters to really focus on. But what about Minnesota United's roster? So much has been made in the offseason yeah. for us here in this market about the loss of Kevin Molino uh, sure. to Columbus Crew. And do we have a number nine that you know can play that, that real striker number nine forward position. They signed Ramon Avila, which was massive to partner, right. you know, maybe with Reynoso. But what do you see from Minnesota United dating back to the loss last season? Right. 
and going into this match? You know, I see a, I see a really good squad. Um, you know, I, I think some of it is, is as always when we deal with MLS, we know that the way the money is structured, that there's a lot of commitment to a smaller pool. And what's so important for any team is that pool of key players has to stay fit. And I see no reason why Minnesota, you know, and, I, and I've read some things saying that people are picking them to be one of the favorites of, of the, and, and with, with the squad and the strength. And if, you know, if, if, if Reynoso and those two form a good relationship, if Ozzy stays fit, you know, will trap. I mean, look, there's some, it's some solid, good solid team right through the middle. It'll be interesting to see uh, how is Tyler Miller doing? Is he back fit in training? And, and yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of, uh, uh, I think Hinchy's found some competition as well. And I think that's so important for a squad is to make sure not only is your squad talented enough, but is there enough talent where people are on edge? that they know that they have to perform every day because there's somebody else willing to take their spot. That's one of the, I think the biggest issues that MLS still has to deal with is they're not able to build true competition within the squads. Most, most teams know that if certain players are fit, you know, the starting 11 before and, and, and where I would, I'd like to see that squad size, you'll know, be able to be, more competitive. And, and I think that's the next big step. And I think Minnesota right now has more competition within their squad than Seattle does. Before we start to wrap things up, Casey, I do want to ask you a, a couple of MLS generic questions before we let you go. But before that, there is an individual we have on our roster from Federal Way from Washington, not too far from Seattle, a young Hassani Dodson who impressed on the international stage with the under-23s. Um, despite them being unable to qualify again for the Olympics. Let's not touch on that. We could have another podcast about that, couldn't we? Um, <laughs> Hassani Dotson, uh, look, Casey, I think this kid's the real deal. 23 sure. years of age, he's going to really command a first-team place at Minnesota United. What, what do you know about him, and what does the Seattle area yeah, know? About? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Seattle, yeah, I mean, there's... I was kind of when he, you know, broke in to the Olympic team and, and did some good things, I was kind of teasing some of... Uh, the coaching staff uh, that, you know, how is this guy not a homegrown in Seattle? So just kind of laughing about that. But, uh, but sometimes it is, it's, it's, that's the great part about opportunity is, is you see players, you know, like a, like an Alan Shearer who got cut by Newcastle. Um, you know, sometimes it takes, uh, uh, you know, some, some disappointment to really, you know, push you forward. I'm not sure if Hassani was necessarily a late bloomer or what it was, but he, he went a different route and he, and he, and he's really starting to emerge right now. And, you know, first and foremost, you look at his, his, his physical ability and, and you're like, all right, he's got size, he's got strength, he's got pace, he's, he's got all that together. Then it's about, you know, just getting more and more consistent. You know, can you cross the ball better? Can you, is it, two out of 10 crosses on the money that becomes four, that becomes six, that becomes seven. Uh, and, and I think, and a lot of times you don't know that until you've proven enough to be given yourself an opportunity to play. And I think he's right on that. He's proven himself and he's in the, now the question mark is, can he get that little bit better 
where then the coaching staff says, okay, this guy's a starter. And I think that's what this early in this season, we're going to find out about Hassani Dotson. And that's, uh, and, and that's that built-in competition that we were talking about that I feel, you know, the squad strength of Minnesota right now is, is showing that you're not going into a, uh, first game of the season going, oh, this guy had a great tournament, uh, you know, in three games in Mexico. And therefore, okay, now he has to be a starter. No, he still has to prove himself. And he's got to come in and, and earn that starting spot. And you're only going to earn it by, first of all, doing the job in training. Then second of all, once you get the opportunity to prove it in matches, because I could care less how many goals you score in training. I could scare, care less about how many assists you have in training. If you can't do it in a match, you're useless to me. So, you, but but you have to do it in training first to get the opportunity to do it on uh, on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So, so so far it looks like the first part's done. Now it's up to him to 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 make that next jump up and and really establish himself as an MLS player. When I've always been such a firm believer in mental makeup too, as we talk about the physical attributes and get it done on the pitch. And I think he's just a great teammate and a, and a big learner. He loves to study. He studied a lot of Ozzy Alonzo, which I think impressed the staff and, and the players. And that's just his natural. I, I don't see makeup. him as an Oz, Ozzy Alonzo player. No, but <laughs> just like the holding in the midfield. And he's been asked right. to play a lot of different positions. So right. I think he was that's just trying to soak too. it all in. Yeah. yeah that, that's always tough too. When you're, you know, when you're good, enough and, and again that goes back down to the squad size because you're 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 good enough and they're like god we got to find a place to get you on the field because you're better but but it's not a like for like you're not coming in and maybe that best showcases you but you're a good guy and you're a good squad and you're a good teammate and you're like all right coach I'll do what you need me to do uh, when when then maybe you're not being able to showcase what you're best at so you know fingers crossed that that uh, you know, I, I love seeing young players who who are willing to to do whatever the team needs, and then and then I want to see them establish themselves in one of those positions and and, and truly become you know that uh, that uh, starting eleven player that uh, that they need to be because I want to see more you know young Americans developing and being counted on in, in MLS and then you know, being assets to be sold to clubs in Europe. And I mean, that's for me, I'm, I'm as proud of, of, of seeing an American player, you know, doing well anywhere uh, and just, and just fighting for playing time and, and being successful at whatever level. And, and uh, so I'm always happy to see good young Americans working their way through. Last one from me, Casey, just, I know we haven't gotten to see everybody yet, especially with COVID, but who got better? Who got worse in Western Conference? Yeah, that's a big question. I mean, <laughs> it, we, you got to think that the Galaxy have gotten better. I mean, because I don't think they could have gotten any worse. But, uh, you know, and then, you know, I think, you know, I saw a little bit of one of the Champions League of, of, of Portland the other day, and their squad looks pretty similar. You know, same kind of as Seattle. Probably happy with a lot of pieces. Uh, we'll see how Blanco returns, you know, after his ACL. And, going but uh i'm not sure about vancouver in all honesty i don't even know if they're going to be able where they're yeah I, yeah I think they're in utah i think to start the season and where they were in portland at the end of last season and the drama with being away from home for so long and hotel rooms and and all that kind of stuff so i think vancouver's going to have some difficulties uh 
I'm interested to see if LAFC is going to be better than they showed, kind of, or at least more consistent, because at times we still thought that LAFC, you know, on their day could have been the best team in the West, um, but didn't show the consistency as much. Uh, uh, yeah, and like I said, I think Minnesota has a great chance. I think I like their squad. It's just how quickly, you know, can those front two gel? Can they st- keep the right people fit? Can I mean I think Ozzy? I mean he's he's not getting any younger. So, uh, but 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 I I take him in my side every day. So you know if Ozzy Kate can stay can stay fit and be you know a super contributing member to the squad. So yeah, I think there's some some fun things to look at. Final question here for you, KC, and a gargantuan risk of opening a huge can of worms here. But this is what we do on this podcast. <laughs> yes. um, it was, it was suggested a few days ago, maybe a week or so ago now, by the president of Liga MX, and Don Garber, the commissioner of MLS, didn't exactly deny it either, that there is potential for some sort of merger between Liga MX and Major League Soccer and to establish what would be called a Super League. Um, there was suggestion from the president of, of FIFA as well in Vitino that perhaps if that happens it could be viewed as one of the best leagues in the world we're all about progression we're all about growing the sport in this part of the world where do you stand on this I think one of the trickiest things about sports is tradition is massive and you're already dealing with a league that is you know very young uh in comparison I remember speaking at a conference in uh, an analytics conference and you know, I'm not a huge analytics guy, but I kind of said to him, I said, look, I'm going to throw some numbers at you. I said, 1885, that's the year that this team I played for was founded. 1886 was the year that this other team I played for was founded. You know, and we're talking about teams, you know, the MLS in 96 and, you know, obviously teams folding and rejoining and changing their names and doing things. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you, all right, let's, let's cash in on some, some Mexican teams. And let's, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we already are at a, at a, at a difficulty because our country's so big to begin with and flying all over the place. Now, I mean, do a seven hour, 10 hour trip down to Santos Laguna and then come back and play a, a match midweek. And yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how logistically that would all work out. And Oh, and by the way, I mean, some of these new franchises paid $200 million to come in. What, are you going to have a 48-team a, a league? I mean, how is that going to work out? So do then now do they go into a second division and then have to go into promotion and relegation after paying that much money? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's, it's a fantasy, and I think they like the idea because they look at the viewing numbers that Liga MX has in America, and they want to be a part of that, MLS does. Uh, but – I just don't see how logistically it's going to work out. Um, I know they're trying to do these little friendly, not, not, not even really friendlies, but trying to have like a league within a league. And again, if you're FC Dallas and you've got a two hour flight, if you're Minnesota and you have a nine hour flight, um, it's, 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 it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit different. So, uh, look, I'm, I'm like you, Callum, I'm all, I like looking at different ideas and seeing how you can grow things and how you can make it 
better, but I just look at that one and I think it's more of a dream than a reality. Just ruthless and wild speculation. Exactly what we love to do on this podcast. Uh, Casey Keller, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks to you, the listener at home, uh, for giving us some of your time as well. My thanks as always to Kindred D. St. Auburn, our producer, Tyson Hill. MLS is back. Minnesota United are back. Friday evening, away to Seattle Sounders. We'll see you then. From all of us here, a very good evening. <laughs>